What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. I am your host, Hayden Vozar, and the reason I said I am your host and not we are your two hosts is because Matt is not here today. So that's right, I'm going solo dolo today. It's actually my first solo episode. I think Matt's had two, maybe even three solo episodes, but yeah, this is going to be my first time going solo. It probably won't make it to an hour, let's be honest. There's not much to talk about. If I had football to talk about, I'd probably be able to make it to an hour, but since it's only NHL and NBA, I probably won't be probably won't be doing all that, but I want to make it to at least 45 minutes and I've got a good amount of good amount of topics today. I actually do have one NFL topic, but it's towards the end and it's kind of building off of the the NFL topic that I had or that we had in our last episode about Aaron Donald. He just got his deal and I'm going to talk about that, some possibilities, some scenarios that can build off of that. But first I'm going to be talking about NBA and NHL and if I did not even say the date. So it's Tuesday, June 7th right now. It's actually kind of in the morning. So yeah, it's a little bit weird. I've actually never recorded in the morning, but I need to do so today because I won't be able to record tonight. So that's why I'm recording in the morning, but it'll still be, if I say yesterday night or last night, or if I say, if I say when things were, then they're going to be the same proximity to if you guys are listening to this Tuesday night or whatever, or I mean, I guess even Wednesday, but you guys know that we record the day before you listen to this usually. So that's that. Yeah, Matt's in Buffalo, if you guys are wondering. He's there for a job trip, I guess, some kind of, yeah, something like that. And he will be back on Thursday. So we will be back together on the podcast um, Friday, Saturday, something like that. So next episode, you guys will hear from Matt again. I'm sure you guys are probably going to miss him a lot, but it's all right. You're stuck with me today. So We got some NBA first. We're going to be going over kind of just takeaways from game two. I've got three main takeaways, and I'm going to be kind of going in depth with those. And there's one really interesting topic that I kind of want to start talking about because I think I think people are starting to kind of catch on to it. And I I started to catch on to it, especially in game two. I don't know if it's an overreaction from game two. Like, I don't know if people are just all of a sudden saying this just because of one game. I don't think it's just because of one game. I think this has kind of been in the works for uh, for a little bit now but i i don't think that warriors fans want to admit this but it's yeah it's it, you guys will kind of hear it coming up here in a little bit and then we've got some nhl we're going to be talking about the avalanche and their sweep over the oilers you guys know it happened it was crazy fashion too um so i'm going to i'm going to be going over that and just kind of talking about why the avalanche are so successful over other teams like the Oilers who were pretty hot coming off of their first round win or coming off of two wins, I guess. And then, you know, including one over the, the Calgary flames who are one of the best teams in the NHL this year. So that's what we've got on tap for today. Let's hop right into NBA. So game two of the NBA finals happened on Sunday night and there were a lot of takeaways. I'm going to go over the first one here, and that is the Warriors actually showed up on defense. They fixed exactly what everyone criticized them for following game one, and that was to hustle to the ball on defense and close out at the three-point line because according to game one, the Celtics have a lot more good shooters than you think. They've got Al Horford, they've got Derek White, and they've got Peyton Pritchard, guys that you don't really expect to take the ball and shoot. They were able to do that in game one, and they did it perfectly, and the Warriors seem to have no no real answer. Now, 
I want to talk about Steph Curry first because Steph Curry, he's kind of been a little bit like people have criticized his defense in the past, saying, you know, oh, well, obviously he's one of the best offensive players in the league, but his defense is kind of lacking. So where has that been? I think Steph Curry's really stepped up on defense recently, at least. There was one possession where I think I forget who was he was guarding. I think he was guarding Jalen Brown, actually. And Jalen, I mean, Jalen Brown is one of the best space space creators on the Celtics team. And this this possession in particular, I don't exactly remember when it was in the game specifically, but I do remember that Steph Curry just absolutely locked him down, and it was it was very impressive. Jalen Brown had a very good start to the game on Sunday. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both had very good starts. Jason Tatum was able to continue his success throughout the rest of the game, but obviously it didn't help them at all, really, because they lost by 30, I think so. Yeah, Jalen Brown kind of fell off, though. He he kind of had a Jason Tatum night from the other night, except he started off well. I think he had, like, 13 points in the first quarter or something like that, and then he kind of just fell off a cliff from there and didn't really – second, third, and fourth quarter, he didn't really do much. So that was kind of disappointing to see. But the point is that Steph Curry, I think, is stepping up on defense by now. You've got Dray- Draymond Green, who is who has won Defensive Player of the Year multiple times, and that's another that's a whole nother controversial topic, which I'll get into next. Actually, that's that's my next topic. But yeah. And then, you, I mean, you've got other players like Kevon Looney. He's really stepped up on defense. He I mean, everybody's been saying that this this playoff run, Kevon Looney has been so, such an important factor to the Warriors team, which I think is I think is definitely right especially on the defensive end. I mean, you need guys down low against the Celtics team. You need guys who can post up against Al Horford. You need you need guys who can really, you know, contest rebounds against guys like Robert Williams. And Robert Williams isn't even 100% healthy. You That was very apparent in this last game. In game two, it was very apparent, apparent that Robert Williams is not healthy. But then you've got the, the whole argument of like, okay, well, what's the point of, sitting a guy like Robert Williams where he you know he's going to add something to your team even if he's not 100% he's definitely going to be out there defending and and doing a good job of you know setting picks and everything like that you've got to think about the fact that like okay yeah he's hurt but if he can go if he can be out there on the court and he can move around somewhat well he if he's going to benefit your team at all he's got to be out there because it's the NBA finals yes you want to keep these guys safe you guys want you want to keep these guys healthy but it's not like he's out there with like a double concussion. I don't even know if that's a thing. That's the first thing that came to mind. You know, a, a an NFL player that's that is going to play in the Super Bowl or something like that and has a concussion. That's different because it's a head injury. It's very dangerous. It's one of those things that can kind of like really mess you up for the rest of your career. But I think, I mean, Robert Williams has a has a left knee injury. I'm pretty sure. Which again, it's dangerous to have him out there. But it's one of those things where you say, if you can go get out there and go because you're not really going to have another chance to be in the NBA finals, or at least you're not going to, you're not guaranteed another chance in the NBA finals. Right. So that's, that's my whole take on Robert Williams. Um, But again, this topic, I'm kind of getting sidetracked here with, with the whole Celtics thing. But again, this topic is more about the Warriors being good on defense and they were perfect on offense. I mean, we, we, we know that they can be good on offense, they had an amazing third quarter again. That's that's their thing. I mean, I think we from here on out we should probably expect them to just go absolutely lights out in the thir- in the third quarter. But I think a lot of a, a lot of their third quarter this past game too was also defense. I think that's one thing that then they didn't really 
have against the Celtics in the third quarter of game one, which is why the Celtics were able to keep it sort of close. I mean, they were it was still a double-digit lead, I think, um, coming out of the third quarter. I think it was 12 to 15 points that the Warriors were up in, in the third quarter in game one. But obviously the Celtics were able to come back from that, and they outscored the Warriors 40 to, to 16 in the fourth quarter. But in this game, in this past game, the Warriors outscored the Celtics in the third quarter 35 to 14, which is pretty reminiscent of what the, the Celtics did to the Warriors in game one. So a lot of people are freaking out over that. I don't think that the Celtics are in trouble. I do think that the Warriors have kind of found their way and have kind of found the, you know, their sweet spot, I guess, in, in the in the style of play that they have to put out there against the Celtics. But I do think that the Celtics, I mean, they're going back to Boston. And the one thing that I'm worried about for the Celtics, again, is that they can't play well in Boston in the playoffs. For some reason, they have just sucked in Boston. And it, it doesn't really make any sense because you would expect the home team to be able to go out there and play their best at least. Um, but they just have not been good at home. It, it's just simple as that. I think in the, the Heat series, I think there was one win at home. And I think I think the Celtics won one game at home and they won the rest away and they lost the rest away. It was it, it was so weird. I, I didn't know what was going on. But it's going to be interesting to see how the Celtics handle being home, especially against the Warriors in the NBA Finals. Maybe since it's the NBA Finals, things are going to change. I mean, I would argue that the NBA Finals are a whole different ball game than the rest of the playoffs. You know, even the conference, even the conference finals, like the conference finals is one of those things where you've still got another step to go after the conference finals. So I think that the mindset in a conference finals game or in a conference finals series is even, it, it's still different than in the finals. Obviously, you know, it's, it's very competitive. It's the second most competitive round of the playoffs. Right. But I think that the NBA Finals is just a whole different ball game. You know, you've got you've got games that are spaced out more than they were in conference finals and in every other round of the playoffs. You've got, I mean, we saw what well, game one was on last was last Wednesday, and then game two was on Sunday, or no game no sorry game one was last Thursday, and then game two was Sunday, and then game three is going to be tomorrow night Wednesday night, and then. I don't know why, but Game Four is is um, is going to be Friday night. So that's the like that's the normal spacing Wednesday to Friday. That's the normal spacing of a game or a playoff a playoff stretch of two games. That's just two days. But we've seen that you know the games have been stretched out by three four days even um, so far. So that even also adds kind of a factor of like well you know you've got three days to think about a loss or three days to think about a win, you know, so it, it, it can get to you in that way. It can kind of throw you off your rhythm because, because these guys are used to playing every other day. Right. So it's, it kind of throws your rhythm off definitely. And I, I think that if the Celtics can find their way in game three, their first game back in Boston, that will be a good sign. But if they can't watch out because the Warriors will probably, take advantage of that. And again, I'm I'm a Celtics fan and so I am biased. I want the Celtics to win. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit on here and say, "Oh, I'm unbiased, you know, I I don't want the Celtics to win. I'm, you know, I'm completely in the middle." Obviously, I'm a little bit biased towards the Celtics, but I'm going to give credit where credit is due if the Warriors are doing something right. I feel like I've done that already. So, let's move on to this next topic, which is kind of 
I guess kind of bashing the Warriors for something. But it's not even the Warriors' fault, really. It's just one player on their team. And that's Draymond Green. We have to talk about Draymond Green. So he got a technical during technical foul during the first quarter of Game 2. He, it looked like he was out to get just about everybody on the Celtics team. I mean, he came a little bit too close to being ejected for a double technical foul. I think in the second quarter, he, he fouled Jalen Brown on a three-pointer, and then they both fell down, and then he like laid his legs on Jalen Brown's face or something like that. It was, it was kind of weird, but you could tell that he was trying to start something else. He's just, he, he was trying to start something with everybody on the Celtics team, really. Um, that first technical foul was after, well, I think it was, I, I actually forget when the technical foul was, but the first like crazy foul was the one that they called against Grant Williams, where Draymond Green basically just like got up under Grant Williams's arm and just shoved him to the ground or like tackled him. But he acted like Grant Williams fouled him and then... They ended up, the refs ended up calling the foul on Grant Williams, which was, again, that was kind of bogus. It seemed like the refs were out to get Boston, but I don't know. I mean, I think that, I think Boston and, and Golden State had the same amount of fouls called against them that night. So you can't really argue that because, I mean, if they have the same amount of fouls called against them, then it's like the refs aren't that biased. But I don't know. I mean, I, I guess if the, if the Celtics had less fouls called against them, then maybe that would have helped a little bit. But again, they got beat by 30. It's not, it's not going to change that. They had like 16 plus turnovers, something like that. You're not going to win, especially an NBA finals game with 16 turnovers in a, in a game. Right. So I think that the whole ref situation was, it was a little bit fishy, but I think Draymond Green is, is kind of a bigger topic to talk about because this guy he just he, he doesn't care, right? He he doesn't care if he gets a technical technical foul. He's going to keep on instigating no matter if he has a technical foul or not. If you guys don't know, if you do get two technical fouls in a game, which a technical foul is basically like it's like more egregious than a regular foul, but it's not quite a flagrant foul. And a flagrant foul is is basically like you're intentionally trying to hurt somebody or you're you're intentionally trying to make a non-basketball play. A technical foul isn't necessarily a non-basketball play. Usually a technical foul is away from the ball, and it's kind of like, you know, if guys get scrappy down low and they're kind of pushing and shoving each other and they somebody throws an elbow or something like that, that could be a technical foul. It's one of those things where it's like, it could be accidental. It could be on purpose. It looks like it's, it looks like it's something that could be on purpose. And so for that reason that, you know, they get a technical foul. And if you get two, if one player gets two of them, he's out of the game for the rest of the game. So Draymond Green almost had that happen to him the other night. But the way he plays is, I, I like it. It's 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 aggressive. I like players that are aggressive and go out there and give it their all and are able to kind of get in the other team's head. I'm all about that. I'm all about getting in the opponent's head. I'm all about kind of going out there and, and you know, really making your presence known, right? But I think Draymond Green takes it way too far. I mean, this, this guy's out there, right, tackling Grant Williams and then getting a foul called on Grant Williams, basically just poking fun at the Celtics at that point. It it It's a little bit too far and a little bit too extreme for my liking. I'd, <laughs> right now, I'm not a Draymond Green fan, I'm going to be honest. I don't think many people are, unless you're like a diehard Golden State fan or unless you just like 
people getting cheated out of the game. I don't know that it again. It, it doesn't make much sense, or it doesn't have much of it of an impact because it's one foul against Grant Williams that shouldn't have been called against him. That should have been called against Draymond Green. But again, it's one of those things that kind of it'll add up, right? If if this game, I mean, if this series goes to seven games or even six games, which I believe that it will go to six games. That's also another prediction that I have. I think this game is going to go at least six games, if not a, a, a seventh game. I don't think that either team is going to win three more games from here on out. Th- three three games straight, I mean. I think that Boston will take at least one, and after that, you know, I the, the Warriors could take the rest of the three. I think that if Boston wins the series, I think that Golden State's going to take at least one more game. So I think this game is going to at least go to game six. It's going to go back to Golden State for game five, and then it's definitely going to go back to go to Boston for game six, and we'll see where we're at at that point. We'll see, we'll see where the series sits at that point, but I do think that it's going to go at least to a game six, and which is great because we want this kind of entertainment value. But back to what I was saying with Draymond Green, this guy is just he, – he just instigates stuff, and when it comes to blatantly instigating things on the court, that's not really cool in my opinion, especially in an NBA Finals where – it's supposed to be the best of the best. It's supposed to be a display of truly good basketball. Again, I'm I'm not saying that what Draymond Green is doing is not really part of the game. I am saying that the extent that he's taking it to is kind of passing the bounds of the game of basketball. Again, getting in the other in the opponent's head, not instigating things, but you know, being aggressive and everything like that, being a little bit over overly aggre- aggressive at times is definitely part of the game. I mean, it's it, basketball at this point is a contact sport. It kind of always has been, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a contact sport. And so if you're going to go out there and just lay back and not be aggressive, you're not really playing the game right. But in the case of Draymond Green, like I've said a million times by now, it's just, it's very extreme. And I kind of just wanted to point that out as something to think about as, as we move. And I've, I'm sure that the refs are, are thinking about this too. I mean, they've probably gotten, notified so many times about looking out for Draymond Green, looking at, looking out for his antics. I'm sure that there's probably a ref that not is assigned solely to Draymond Green, but he probably like there's probably one person or one ref out there that's looking at Draymond Green a lot and probably, you know, is told to look at him a lot and not really keep his or not really take his eyes off of him because he's out there doing some some shady stuff, but I don't know. Again, it's it, it kind of it makes our entertainment value for the audience to an extent, but again, it's just like, okay, dude, we get it. You're out there and you're doing crazy things. You're you're super aggressive. You're tackling guys. It, like it's it's funny once, and I don't I don't think he's trying to be funny, but it's like, okay, yeah, it's entertaining to a point, but then you get to the point where it's like, okay, just let the other team play. Let's just play basketball, right? Let's not be tackling guys it's not football out here as much as I wish I was watching football you know on June 7th I, I'm not I'm watching basketball and I'm watching the NBA finals so I want to be watching basketball and I don't want to be watching Draymond Green do his best you know Luke Keekley impression and tackle dudes I don't know that's just what I think about it but moving on to this last NBA topic I've got a topic about Jordan Poole now yes we saw Jordan Poole have that absolutely ridiculous shot at the end of the third quarter, which was just insane. I mean, he basically pulled off from half court. It was definitely like, it wasn't on the logo. It was a logo shot, I guess. And a lot of people are calling it half court shot. Hey, 
I don't think it's a half court shot if it's I don't know. I mean, that shot looked like it was at least a yard, like three feet in front of the the half court line. I'm, in my opinion, it's not a half court shot unless the guy's like running, basically, like if he's running down the court and kind of does a little, a little heave shot. Like Jordan Poole's shot was just, I mean, he just did his little, his little like through the legs behind the back, just shifty shift, and then he like stepped back and he was still three feet in front of the half court line, and he shot it. It was like a normal shot, and it swished and it was absolutely insane the I mean the the crowd went nuts <laughs> like they almost blew the top off the stadium but I I don't think that's a, that's a half court shot and that's just, that's just my opinion again it's just I don't know I don't know if you can call that a half court shot but anyway he had that crazy half court shot or like last second shot in the third quarter um third quarter he was he was hot too I mean he had a he had a three right before that too I think the, the possession before that one he had a three to kind of end off the third quarter in that in that sense. So yeah, I mean he he can now in in some cases be considered more important to the Warriors team than Clay Thompson right now. I think I'm gonna make an argument for this again. This is right now. Obviously, Clay Thompson historically has been more important to the Warriors team because well, I mean he's played for longer and he's one of the best shooters. Of all time, and the I mean, who was it? I think it was Stephen A. Smith was saying he's a top five shooter of all time or something like that, which I'm not even gonna get into that because I mean I don't I don't really know many of the old guys and I don't like I don't know their stats so I'm not gonna get into all that but I mean Clay is definitely top ten top seven shooter of all time in the NBA so right he's been very important to their team very important to their success success in the past. But I think that right now, Jordan Poole is probably more important to the Warriors' success. And it's one of those things where I'm going to make this argument that players dwindle. We, we, we've we seen Klay Thompson. He's been hurt for the past two years, basically. And he hasn't really, I mean, he hasn't really been playing basketball, right? He's been playing a good amount, you know, in, in these playoffs and, and this year so far. But if he, I mean, even if he's just a pure shooter and he has a knee or, or, or an ankle injury or whatever, he's not going to perform to the best of his ability if he's still hurt in some way. Again, I'm not saying that he's still hurt. He could just be kind of dwindling as, as any athlete does when they get older. I mean, he's he's 32 years old. So, again, I mean, he's he's been in the league for a long time. And guys, I mean, players just dwindle. Again, it's, it's one of those things where he's not going to last forever it's a little bit weird because Steph Curry and Draymond Green seem to be fine and Klay Thompson seems to be a little bit off this this playoff series. Game one, he was completely off. Um, game two, he was a little bit better, but he still needs to play better because that's what everybody expects him to do. But I think Jordan Poole is kind of stepping into that role where like he's kind of the, the, the third splash brother at this point. It's weird to say that, but I think it's true. And... I don't think that it's that, it's that big of a deal. I don't really know why Warriors fans are freaking out about this. I've seen a couple things on Twitter where, like, yeah, Warriors fans are just, like, absolutely calling blasphemy on people who who say that Jordan Poole is kind of taking the role of Klay Thompson. Again, it's, it's not saying, like, he's better than Klay Thompson has ever been. We're not saying that. I'm just saying that he is taking Klay Thompson – he's taking more of a Klay Thompson role – on the Warriors in terms of what he means to the team. I'm not saying that 
you know, Clay Thompson, like Jordan Poole is automatically better than Clay Thompson, and he should be on the on, on the NBA seventy five, right? I'm not saying that he's like Jordan Poole shouldn't be considered better than Clay Thompson in any right in terms of historical performance, but I think in terms of the team right now and who the Warriors need to beat this, especially this Celtics team, I think Jordan Poole is 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 one of the keys and he's he's definitely becoming one of those splash brother-esque players and it's perfect for the Warriors because that's that's exactly what they thrive on in terms of defense I don't I mean I don't even really I haven't really watched much Jordan Poole defense but I, I think he's pretty good I mean he's he's again he's probably not as good as as Clay is on defense because Clay is kind of one of those three and D guys but yeah I think that in terms of what Jordan Poole means to the Warriors team right now, he's he's kind of stepping into that role, and it's 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 cool to see that again. I mean, it's it's one of those like you saw after the the half or quote unquote half court shot at the end of the third quarter, Steph Curry like walked up to to Jordan Poole and he you know gave him a big hug and he was smiling and everything. Every everybody was posting on Twitter, posting clips of of Jordan Poole celebrating after that shot. And Steph Curry's in the background just smiling and everybody's saying like, Oh, look at Steph Curry, he looks like a he looks like a proud big brother, right? And it's it's kinda true. I mean, Jordan Poole looks a lot like Curry when he plays sometimes. So especially that shot, like that whole sequence of doing a bunch of crazy dribbles and then stepping back and then just heaving up a three and it's swishing to end the quarter. Like that's so curry esque. I mean, if if you were to, if you were to show me that shot, even if Jordan Poole wasn't on the Warriors, if you were to show me that shot and you would have said Name one other player in the NBA that would most likely do the same exact sequence of events. I would definitely say Steph Curry. So it's it's almost like Jordan Poole is blossoming into the player that Steph Curry became. But that's probably going to round out the uh, the NBA segment. Again, that's there was kind of a lot to take in there. But again, I, I wanted to just kind of go over some takeaways from Game 2 because I think we learned a lot more from Game 2 than we did Game 1. So... That's that. Moving into NHL now. The Avalanche completed their sweep of the Oilers last night. And honestly, if you told me that the Avalanche would come back from a 3-1 deficit in the third period, I would have told you that you're crazy. Even even though the Avalanche are a crazy team and that there's one team that I would b- bet money on doing that, again, I wouldn't really bet money on that anyway because it's that's so hard to do for any NHL team. But if there was one team that you told me to bet money, bet money on to do that, it would probably be the avalanche this year. But that being said, um, that's exactly what they did. (laughs) They came back and there were actually six total goals scored in the third period. There was four by the avalanche and then two by the Oilers. So it was, um, it was five, five by the end of the third period, they went into overtime and the avalanche ended up scoring basically two minutes into overtime. Now, little funny story from this um I am gonna actually well you guys heard a shout out of the Twitter in the beginning hopefully I remember to do it I haven't done it yet but I'm gonna put it in there I'm gonna kind of edit it in there but hopefully I remember to do it if I don't then whatever but I'm gonna shout out the Twitter again right now it's at first down rd pod if you guys haven't given it a follow or if you guys haven't checked it out go ahead and check it out I'm starting to tweet a lot more during games so like for example during game two of the NBA finals I tweeted like six, seven times. Again, that's not that much compared to other accounts, but I'm trying to do it more to get more recognition. So I was, I came home pretty late last night. I mean, I did, I was, I basically sat down to watch the game right as the third period was ending. And so I watched that overtime period and that's pretty much all that, that I watched of that game. 
but I heard about the whole coming back from three, you know, three to three to one in the third period. I heard about the whole six goals in the third period. That was crazy to hear about. So I was kind of already acclimated to what the game flow was like, and I was, and so I went on Twitter and I was like, hey, I I thought of a tweet to write, and I think it was one minute into the overtime period. There was like nineteen oh six left in the overtime period. The tweet went. I've got a feeling this game-winning goal is going to be scored really soon into overtime, dot, dot, dot. I'm talking within five minutes. And I was literally thinking about how to word it just to make it sound good. And as I was finishing up the hashtags, it was getting down to kind of the 18-minute mark. And I kid you not, right as I click tweet, the Avalanche score. And I'm like, dang it, dude. If I would have just posted this tweet a minute earlier, like if I would have posted it, when there was 19 minutes left in the in the in the final period, I mean in the overtime period, I would probably be famous right now. I mean, I don't I don't know for sure, but like, dude, that was it was so cool, um, and I kind of it looks like I tweeted it right after the the Avalanche scored. Like, looks like I was trying to like cheat the system. I promise you, I wasn't. I had this. I mean, I had this tweet written up for a good while before. I mean, a good while. I mean, like a minute, but that's still a pretty good while in terms of how fast the avalanche scored into overtime. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had this, I had this tweet written up. I was just kind of finishing up the hashtags and then I, I literally quick click tweet. And right as I was doing that, the avalanche scored. So that was kind of funny to see in coincidental event, but a conference final sweep, um, hasn't happened or no. So it's, it's only happened eight times in the past 34 years, which is pretty crazy to think. I think there's actually been, there might be more final sweeps than conference final sweeps. I don't know. I was I was looking it up yesterday, and I don't have the tab open anymore. But yeah, there's there's only been eight in the past thirty four years in terms of conference uh, final sweeps between East and West. Like that's between both conferences. So I don't even know what the number is for Western conference. Fin- it's definitely less. I assume. I, I mean, I assume that not all eight um, conference final sweeps have been in the West the past thirty four years, but. It might be that way. Now, my question here is, why were the Avalanche so successful against a pretty hot Oilers team? And I kind of mentioned this question at the beginning of the podcast, too. And I think, I don't know. I mean, the the Avalanche have such a unique style of play, right? I mean, right now, like coming into the playoffs, they were by far the best team, considered the best team in the NHL. That's, That's no debate. And I think that a lot of people... Still having them winning winning the Stanley Cup Finals. I do at least. I think they're still going to win the, the Stanley Cup Finals. They've shown that they can roll over anybody. I mean, last night's game was a perfect example of it. They were down 3-1 with not much time left to play, and they showed their re- resiliency and were able to come back from that deficit. Um, it's it's. I think the, the Avalanche are one of those teams where like their speed just absolutely kills you, and you guys have probably heard it before. The Avalanche are probably one of the, the fastest teams in NHL history. They have, in terms of like different guys on their team that can that can skate super fast and that can just get down the ice so fast. Um, obviously, Connor McDavid is is one of the fastest guys in the NHL as well, but that's only really one guy on the Oilers team. On the Oilers team, I mean, I don't know about other guys on the on the Oilers. I know like Drysaddle. I mean, I don't think he's really fast. Um, you know, there are some other guys on the Oilers that, that may be fast, but, like, Connor McDavid is the guy when it comes to speed on that team. The Avalanche have a lot. Like, they, they have, like, multiple f- 
really, really fast guys that were able to defend against Connor McDavid. And they kind of, they, they usually had two guys on Connor McDavid at all times just to make sure he didn't make any crazy plays, you know, on, on, on a breakaway or whatever. So, um, you definitely saw Connor McDavid getting some, some extra attention or some special attention, which was good. I mean, that's, that's exactly what the Avalanche needed to do. And obviously it worked because they were able to complete the sweep, but I do think that the Avalanche, they're one of those teams that like, you know, dude, they're they're It's almost like they don't have any weaknesses, right? Their, their goaltender is showing up in the playoffs as well. Um, I mean, he, I think he's been pretty good all year, but yeah, they're, they're a special team. Um, I think that in terms of how I think they'll fare against either the Lightning or the Rangers, it kind of depends on who wins that series. I think if the Rangers get to the... I think the Rangers will actually give the Avalanche a harder time than the the Lightning will. Again, it's, it's kind of weird because the Lightning have won the past two Stanley Cups, and so you might be asking why I say that. But I think the Rangers are, are kind of more of an up, unpredictable team. They they play they played more methodical, and so I think that that will probably be able to beat speed rather than a more scrappy play, kind of like the Lightning do. Again, I mean the the Rangers do play scrappy. I feel like, but they're not. But I think they play best when they're just passing the puck around like crazy and just finding openings in the net. Really, um, that's that's how the Rangers have beaten their opponents this whole playoff run and so if they're able to do that against the obviously if they're able to get past the lightning um we'll see if that kind of pans out. i mean they're still they're up two to one on the lightning right now we haven't really given an update since the lightning won that that game on sunday so they're up two to one right now we have another game from them t- coming up tonight so we will see if the lightning can actually tie it up at two or if the rangers go up three one if the rangers go up three one they're gonna win that series i'm sorry I mean, even if the Lightning tied up at 2-2, I still think the Rangers are going to win that series. I believe in the Rangers so much at this point. You guys know I do from, from last episode. So I'm hoping for a Rangers-Avalanche final. I think that will be more fun to watch. Again, I don't think that the, if the Lightning get to the finals with the Avalanche, I don't think it'll be a blowout. But I do think that the Rangers, it'll be more fun to watch the Rangers and Avalanche go at it, I think, at least. So that's my whole take on it. I think I'm going to move on to NFL now. It's kind of getting towards the 40-minute mark. I'm going to go get some water because my voice is shot. All right, I just got some water, so hopefully my voice is not going to fail me again. It was kind of it was getting a little shaky towards the end there of that little segment. But, yeah, let's move on to NFL. Well, Aaron Donald got his deal. We were talking about it last episode. We were talking about I don't know why Aaron Donald's all of a sudden switching up on the Rams. Why is he saying he's going to retire if he doesn't get a lot of money? Because all throughout his career, he's been taking pay cuts so that other players can come in and build a Super Bowl team. But now that he's won a Super Bowl, he's kind of switched up. And Matt and I were talking about that last episode, why that's a little bit well, that's a little bit fishy. But it's a big deal, no pun intended. But his deal is literally huge, right? Like the deal he got in terms of money is huge. It's a little bit confusing. So here's how it goes. The deal is for 95 million over 3 years. So that's about an average of 90 of 32 million a year. Just, you know, just about I mean give or take 1 million, right? So, as we learned from our friend Alex Bodry who came on the podcast um, a little bit ago, if you guys haven't listened to that episode, it's called the it's called 
the life of an of an NFL agent featuring Alex Beaudry. He's he's an NFL agent right now, and he's you know he came on the podcast and talked with us about a lot of different stuff. But basically, as we learned from him, the deal that you see in the news, so that ninety five million over three years, that is the best case scenario for these players. So there's a there's usually a guaranteed amount which the players are guaranteed, and that honestly that can that can be up to like just half of the actual deal, and then incentives and options and all I mean I don't know the specifics of it but basically like incentives and options and and accomplishments for the for those seasons and stuff like that those are things that add to the total of the of the minimum or the guaranteed amount and that's kind of what you see in the news is that big deal because I mean it just looks better right so Aaron Donald may not be making 32 million dollars a year it's kind of confusing technically Aaron Donald only has around 65 million guaranteed through the 2023 season so he has to play these next well his his deal his guaranteed money is for these next two seasons obviously he can retire whenever he wants and he could he could retire after next season but that would have a con of financial consequence pretty much on the rams now after these two seasons he gets 65 million guaranteed so that's basically i mean again that's basically 62 i mean that's basically 32 million for each of the next two seasons and after that after that guaranteed money runs out throughout the next two seasons he can then retire after that if he wants without any financial implications the third year in that deal is basically an option like it's it's basically optional for for Aaron Donald but he will get the same amount of money guaranteed in that third year than he would that he would make through those two second I mean through those two first years right so Basically, like he can retire after two seasons from the Rams if he wants, but if he wants to stay a third year, he doesn't even he doesn't have to rework another contract. He can basically just say, "Okay, I wanna I wanna play this third year. You guys are gonna pay me the same amount that you've been paying me, and after that, I can retire or do whatever I want with my career." So the idea here is that it's basically like a lot of people are thinking that it's gonna be Aaron Donald either. I mean, he's he's gonna play right, and he either retires after two years or he chooses to play a third year and then he retires after that but there's a couple more scenarios which I will go through now so there's one hypothetical situation where (laughs) essentially Aaron Donald is going to play two more years for the for the Rams to get his guaranteed money his 65 million over those two years and then he's going to retire just so that he can unretire like Brady did, like Brett Favre did, just so that he can unretire and play for another team without having to rework a deal or or deal with all the weirdness that comes with moving to another team while you're still in the NFL. So that's the idea here is that he could technically retire after two years and then just pull a Brady and a Brett Favre and then come back and unretire and just play for a different team. Now, I don't really know why he would want to do that. If I'm being honest, um, I don't. I don't think the Rams are going to repeat next this coming season. I do. I'm like almost positive an AFC team is going to win the Super Bowl. There's just way too many good teams in the AFC for them not to win the Super Bowl this year. But that being said, I do think that Aaron Donald has. I mean, he has reason to stay in L- in LA. He is the highest paid 
non-quarterback in NFL history at this point. He's making $32 million a year. A lot of quarterbacks, I mean, you, you have to be a really, really good quarterback to make, be making $40 million a year, right? So it's just absolutely insane what, what Aaron Donald is getting. But he deserves it, right? I mean, he's one of the best defensive players ever in history. And a lot of people are saying like, oh, you know, why would you pay Aaron Donald this much? He's he's on the older side. You know, he's kind of, I mean, he's a defensive player. He's def- he's a defensive tackle. He doesn't deserve this much. Dude, Aaron Donald has been the most dominant defensive player for the past five years, and there's no doubt about it. There's absolutely no doubt about it. You want to hear another thing that's crazy to think about, and I bet you just, I bet you didn't know? Aaron Donald has missed two games his entire career. When he started a game, which I think he... I think he started every game but his first, like, four games in 2014. He has missed two games his entire career. I think those two games were in 2017. Yeah, so those two games were in 2017. He only played 14 of the 16 games, right? That is insane. He, has not, he hasn't missed a game since 2017. So 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. He has not missed a game because of injury, because of whatever. He is worth this deal, let me tell you. He is totally worth the $32 million that you're giving him. If you're going to give other players $50 million, again, I'm not going to go into the whole thing of athletes should be paid less because I think they should be in general. I think athletes should be paid a lot less in general, and more money should go to jo- other occupations such as like teaching, you know, jobs that actually matter for the future, but I'm not going to get into that. In terms of how other athletes and how other players in the NFL are being paid, Aaron Donald deserves this deal. He he's earned it. Let's face it. He has earned this massive deal and there's there's no getting around it. I think that he will stay for these two years. I don't know what he'll do with the third that's that's like the the big catch is I don't know what he's gonna do his third year. It kind of depends uh, not kind of, it all depends on how the Rams fare these these next two seasons. To put it in perspective for you, Aaron Donald is making now more than Matthew Stafford is. So everybody knows that Matthew Stafford got that huge deal to go to the Rams. The first year he's in L.A., he wins a Super Bowl with them. That's all great and fine and dandy, but Aaron Donald is now making more per year than Matthew Stafford is, which is crazy to think about. You know, the quarterback is the most important position on the field He's the one that you pay most. You know, that's why I said that Aaron Donald is the, is, is the highest paid non-quarterback in the league or in, in league history. And that's true because we have guys like Aaron Rodgers making $50, I mean, $50 million a year. Yeah, $50 a year. He's making just $50 a year. <laughs> 50 measly dollars. No, I'm kidding. Making $50 million, We've got Patrick Mahomes making $50, 50 million a year with his 10-year, $500 million a year that he signed. Um a year or two back. So we've got guys like that making, you know, crazy money, but those, I mean, those are quarterbacks, right? Aaron Donald is a defensive tackle who isn't really supposed to make that much, but, but he is. And I think he fully deserves it. I'm, I'm super happy for the guy. Again, the way that he was talking in that interview where he said he would basically, basically retire if he didn't get a big deal or if he didn't get a lot of money, that was a little bit shady. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why, like, I don't know why he just switched up like that. Again, he's been playing, I mean, he's been in the league since 2014. He's had an incredible career. And up until this point, he's been 
more on the humble side or more on the side of, yeah, I'll take a pay cut in order to have good guys around me, in order to have a, a, a solid core, right? Well, now he's the core and he's making $32 million a year, which is insane. So I'm probably going to leave it at that. Again, I don't know what in terms of the scenarios that could play out, I also heard that he could just play one year basically. And then again, he can retire at any point. Um, He could just play one year next year. And if they suck, then he might like request a trade or something like that to another team to kind of a, a super team. And then in that case, if he only plays one year with the Rams, then the Rams do have to, then whoever signs Aaron Donald, if he does get traded next year after next year, whoever signs him, will have to take over his $32 million contract. So that's the only time when the money side of it can get a little bit shaky because if he goes to another team after two years, technically that third year was optional with LA. And so he won't like, there won't be any financial implications if he, if he goes somewhere else or if he retires or anything like that. So that's kind of the, the, the rundown of that. Um, hope you guys understand. I, again, I'm trying to explain it now. I'm sure that I probably don't fully understand it, but I read up on it last night, and from what I understand or from what I understood of the article that I that I pulled up, that's kind of how it's how it's going to go. And again, we don't know what Aaron Donald's going to do. It kind of just depends on how the Rams do this season, so be on the lookout for that and kind of keep in mind that Aaron Donald is making a lot of money. So I'm not going to say he's going to dwindle this year, but – a lot of players, when they get a huge contract and when they get the money that they do want, sometimes they don't do as well as if they were playing for that contract. So if they're if they're trying if they're playing in a season before they sign a big contract and they don't know that they're going to get that contract, usually they play a little bit better than when they sign a huge contract. So be on the lookout for that. Again, I'm not doubting Aaron Donald's drive or motivation for the game anymore. I'm just saying what he was saying in that interview was a little bit weird saying that, okay, I'll just retire if I don't get this big deal. And now that he has this big deal, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. It's it's kind of all adding up, and it's kind of all shaping to be a little bit of a weird season for Aaron Donald, but I'm not going to say anything yet. I'm just going to leave it at that. So with that being said, that is going to round out this episode. I think I got to 45, 50 minutes, so I'm happy with that. I don't need to get to an hour. It's whatever. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Again, this was a solo episode, so – here and there, it might sound a little bit choppy, edited a little bit, whatever. I had to pause a couple times. Um, obviously, you guys won't really hear that because I'm going to edit it out as best as I can but and make it flow. But it, it, it was definitely an experience. I mean, I'm kind of reflecting back on it already. And, like, I probably said a lot of more likes and ums than I would have liked to do or than I would have in a, in a normal episode with Matt. I've probably... I don't know. I've probably stumbled over my words a couple a couple more times than I just did it right there. That's funny. But I probably did that a couple more times than I would have liked. But again, it's my first solo episode. It's currently 10 a.m. I started this at about 9.15, 9.20. So I'm not really worried about it. It's kind of still early, early in the morning here. here. I'm doing my best for you guys. So that's all that matters. Um, we will be back. And I say we because Matt will be back with me as well on it's gonna be either Friday or Saturday. And at that point, maybe we'll do Friday or no, we'll probably do Saturday because game four will be over with at that point. 
there's going to be two finals games from now until when we post our next next episode, most likely. So, yeah, we'll probably try to do it Saturday so that we have kind of both games in Boston to talk about for the NBA Finals. And then we'll obviously have NHL Conference Final between Lightning and Rangers at that point. The Avalanche have a huge break in between now and and when the finals, the Stanley Cup Finals start. I was listening to the radio yesterday and or I guess today and um they were everybody was saying this avalanche team rest is probably the best thing for them because of how fast they play a lot of times rest can kind of either be a blessing or a curse to a team I think it's going to be a complete blessing to the avalanche because they need some rest they they play so fast and they give it their all every time they're out out there on the ice so this big stretch of rest I mean probably even it might even come out to be like another whole week that you know that they're that they're resting. So you never know. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But they're gonna have a lot of rest and they're gonna be they're gonna be ready to go when it comes Stanley Cup uh, finals time. So with that being said, again, thank you guys for listening. Um, gonna shout out to Twitter again. Again, it's at First Down RD Pod. Go over and check it out going to start posting a lot more during games and, you know, kind of throughout the day if I think of something funny to post or some kind of hot take I'm going to post on there. So, yeah, really trying to grow that. It would be greatly appreciated if you guys did that. Thank you in advance, too. So, with that being said, I'm going to sign off for today. It was great being here with you guys. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week, and we'll catch you Saturday.